My name is Errol Corker, and I'm the founder and the CEO of the AB Corporate Foundation for Mental Health. Welcome to our podcast series, Brain Goods, Mental Health Moments. Today's podcast is on resilience training and mindfulness in everyday life. It's by Dr. Nick Wignall. He's a clinical psychologist and writer at the Cognitive Behavioral Institute of Albuquerque in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate the introduction and I'm glad to be here. All right, so as we mentioned, we're gonna be talking about resilience um, and resilience training, but specifically in everyday life. And, and that's really what I, I want the emphasis on this, this presentation to be, this is practical exercises for resilience in everyday life. Um, so I think you know resilience is kind of a big term. It's it's a little vague to some degree, but I want to get really practical and specific with how this can be helpful um, in, in a doable way in everybody's life in in regular circumstances. So that that's kind of the introduction. Um, so before we get started, I, before we even dive into what resilience itself is, I, I want to make a really important distinction, um, and I want to set resilience apart from coping. When you hear the term coping. Coping is what you're forced to do when you haven't trained for resilience. Okay, so there, there's nothing, um, the, the point of training for resilience is so that you shouldn't, hopefully you won't even need coping or coping skills in the moment. You will have built up sort of strength and resilience in, in practice and training so that when you get to the game time situation, you can, you can simply act on your best instincts and what's most important to you and what's most helpful. Um, so I think that's really important that you, we don't, coping is necessary sometimes. We all face unexpected um, stressors and we, we have to sort of try and do things in the moment to, to cope and pull out strategies. But I think ideally the, the most important, the, the better way to think about how do I deal with difficult things that come up in my life is, can I, can I train myself ahead of time to be prepared to deal with difficulties generally? It's, it's essentially the idea of prevention is the best medicine, right? We all need medical interventions, but if at all possible, it's best to you know, improve sort of lifestyle factors, diet, exercise, um, all those sorts of things so that when we are hit with illness, um, we, we're able to rebound and recover faster. So that's sort of the idea. I, I like to think of um, athletes when I think of resilience. So every athlete knows you're going to be faced sometimes with very challenging situations. You know, Michael Jordan, you know, down by one point, uh, games on the line, he gets the ball, all this think of all the stress when he's in that moment under all that stress and pressure, he, he doesn't have time to stop and pull out a coping card and think like, Hmm, how do I handle all this stress? What? I, no, he's been training his whole life so that he can simply act when he's in that moment of stress and pressure and do the thing that he needs to do. So that's sort of the metaphor. Um, when I when I think of resilience, that's I, I want to apply that to mental health and emotional well-being. Okay. So, but it's important to, to really distinguish resilience is the training you do so that when stressors happen, um, you're able to respond effectively. Whereas coping is what you do when you you haven't been training and you don't you're you don't have any prior experience that helps guide you. Um, so the next thing to kind of ask is, well, what's the source of resilience? Where does resilience come from? Um, how do we, you know, how do we build it? We're going to talk a lot about that. But the, the idea I want to impress upon you right off the bat is that, you know, people tend to think of 
there's been a couple of major models that have dominated mental health and well-being um, over the years, over the centuries, really. And for a long time, up until maybe the late 1900s, early 20th century, we were sort of dominated by the choice model or the moral model, which meant that how we, you know, our, our mental health, how we experience emotions was a function of our, our character, our morality, essentially. And we, we, you know, in the 20th century, we, we, we kind of left that behind to some degree, and we replaced it with a much more medical model of emotional well-being and health. Um, that, you know, you're, if you're depressed, it's because you have low serotonin in your brain, or um, it, it's, it, 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 in its worst form, it became overly deterministic um, and sort of reductive. And then in the last 20 years or so, we've moved to this, what I think of as the skill model of mental health. We think of, you know, you always hear about um, coping skills and strategies for dealing with, um, with stress or with depression or with anxiety. And you kind of, something happens and you pull out your strategy and you, you remember to do it. And, and I think all these models have, have flaws because very few of them are truly integrated and, and sort of reflect the full sense of what it means to be human, which is we do have choice and sort of moral, we have autonomy in how we, what we decide to do and the decisions we make to some degree. Um, we are also somewhat determined by our bodies and our chemistry. Um, and we can make use of specific skills, but I, I wanna suggest that a, a better, more integrative model for how to think about mental health is habits. And specifically, habits are the, are the type of thing that they integrate all three of those things, your, your choices, you know, how, you, how you make decisions and, and decide to do things, your, um, your physiology, you know, your body, and then also your sort of strategies and your skills. And so the idea with resilience is that almost always when, when we get hit with a stressor, when times are tough, we tend to sink to the level of our habits, right? So um, a, a specific example of this might be, you know, when you are giving a talk, public speaking, you know, it's, you know, every, every person's number one fear. People are more afraid of public speaking than, than death, right? Um, you, you could have a, a set of like coping cards that tell you, okay, if I get stressed, I should do this, or here's the order of, you know, slides that I want to go through or, and those things are, those are fine, but really good presenters, the way they deal with the stress of being um, on stage is they train, they practice, they prepare ahead of time, often quite a bit. So that when they get onto the stage and they're they're faced with that inevitable stress of you know thousands of people watching them, they they can almost operate on instinct according to their habits that they've trained. And so to me, that's really the the model for thinking about resilience and and really health generally in our mental health is how can we how can we build healthy habits on a regular, consistent basis such that we we are prepared and strong when we are hit with the inevitable kind of pains and stressors of life. Um, so I think this idea of habits is, is really, really important. And, and that's really the kind of the heart of resilience training it means it's not about learning coping skills necessarily. It's about training healthy habits that assist you when things are stressful. Okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through three of these, I think three ways to train for emotional resilience. And they're essentially habits that you can build in everyday life. Um, and the first one is what I call emotional curiosity. Um, now, and th these are 
these habits are based on, you know, my sort of reading and research in, in the topic of resilience, which is huge. I mean, it's just an enormous, um, there's a lot of literature on it, but then also my clinical experience work with, I work with clients every single day. I'm a therapist. Um, and so a lot of these come out of my understanding of um, the science and the literature, but then also what actually works with people in regular life. Um, and so th this, this first one, emotional curiosity, um, what you tend to see with people who are not resilient, who when, when stressors happen, when times are tough, they get kind of laid flat. They just really get knocked over or they, and they, they have a hard time recovering. One of the things you notice if you pay attention is they're very combative with their own emotions. So something happens, you know, there you've been in, in quarantine all day with your, with your spouse and your three kids and everyone's getting on each other's nerves and your, your spouse asks you to do something, but you know, her tone of voice is just so that it kind of irritates you. Right. And then you fly off the handle, right. You just kind of lose it completely, which obviously is not ideal. When you really slow down and zoom in on these situations, what you often find is when people ratchet up to extreme levels of emotionality, what you find right before that is they, they have a, they kind of pass judgment on themselves for how they feel. So they'll, they'll be these very quick thoughts that rush through their head. Things like, oh God, like I can't believe I'm getting frustrated again. Why am I always so frustrated? Why do I have to be frustrated? And why do we have to be quarantined like this? And that judgment of how they're feeling, like what they don't see is that magnifies the emotional response later. So in addition to feeling frustrated, you're also feeling guilty or ashamed about yourself for feeling frustrated. And this is, this is just absolutely fundamental to why people have a hard time being resilient in emotionally difficult situations. And on the other hand, how people who are resilient, how they manage it. Like this is just one of those secrets that's very hard to see, but once you see it, it's, it's, it's hard to unsee. And so this idea of emotional curiosity, I like the, the concept of curiosity because this is the starting point for changing your relationship with your own emotions. Okay. If you have a combative kind of judgmental approach to when you feel bad emotionally, you're, you're just going to ratchet up your overall level of emotional intensity and which will most likely lead to unhelpful or regrettable behaviors. On the other hand, if you can have, if you can approach even difficult emotions, like you would approach a friend who's struggling with something difficult in kind of an, an open, curious, empathetic way, you can really do a lot to diffuse the intensity of those emotions you're experiencing and which will help you act more in alignment with um, with your values and, and what's important to you. Um, so fostering, and I like this idea of curiosity because it's, it's pretty ordinary. Anyone kind of understands what curiosity means. Um, but if we can learn to be a little bit more curious of how we're feeling in the moment, instead of judgmental or combative about it, um, we, can, we can often, um, it can have pretty dramatic impacts on how we end up behaving and what we end up doing. So there's one specific habit that I think helps build this, this idea of emotional curiosity, this habit of emotional curiosity, and that is mindfulness meditation. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably rolling your eyes. Like everybody talks about mindfulness. I roll my eyes every time people talk about mindfulness because it's, it's such a trendy topic these days, just in our culture. Everybody's talking about mindfulness and everybody's pitching mindfulness as a cure for everything, it seems like, under the sun. Um, 
but I, when I use mindfulness and when I work with my clients um, on mindfulness, I use it in a very technical, specific sense. Um, and that is mindfulness meditation is, it's a, it's a way to practice training your attention. It's a way to practice training your attention. And I'm, I'm going to get into what that means, but we have to get over a, a very common misconception about mindfulness right off the bat, which is a lot of people think of mindfulness as a way to calm down. That it's, a, it's sort of a relaxing strat. It's a relaxation strategy. They're like, well, I'm so stressed. I'm going to do some mindfulness and then I will feel more relaxed afterwards. And inevitably, you might feel a little bit more relaxed, but anyone who's tried to start a serious meditation practice, you know how frustrating and how hard it is, how difficult it is. And so what I, what I want to just validate is doing mindfulness, um, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like, but it, it is a practice. It's an exercise. Okay. So it, to some extent, it should be hard. It, it's like, it's like a workout. It should be effortful and even frustrating sometimes. That doesn't mean it's not working. In fact, that means it is working to a large extent because what you're doing in, in most forms of mindfulness is you're training your attentional muscle to, so for instance, a common form of mindfulness is you focus on your breath. You know, you kind of keep your emotion, your, um, your attention, your focus on how it feels to breathe. And of course, inevitably you end up getting distracted, you know, some thought about what you need to get to the grocery store or some mistake you made at work um, earlier before comes up. And the task in mindfulness is to notice that thought and the emotion associated with it. Oh my God, like I feel uh, sadness. I feel shame because I made this mistake earlier today. Can you notice that emotion and go, oh, interesting. And then return your attention back to your breath or whatever the target of your, your meditation practice is. The mindfulness is so powerful because it, it trains your attention to be able to observe your difficult emotions and thoughts without reacting to them in a combative or avoidant way. And this is such an important skill for resilience. When you feel strong emotion, if you, if you get judgmental with your own emotions or if you try and run away from them, it's only gonna magnify them. What, what a mindfulness practice teaches you to do is, it teaches you to be able to observe and be with your emotions. In, in essence, it teaches you to foster a real healthy relationship with your difficult emotions instead of treating them like an enemy. And like any relationship in our lives, you're not gonna build a relationship with someone unless you spend time with them, right? Unless you get to know them. Um, even, and you even have to kind of get past things about them that you don't necessarily like, or you use sort of foibles or things like that. So building a mindfulness meditation habit is the best way I know to help people get curious about their own emotions. And when you're curious about your own emotions, you, you eliminate that, that second layer of negative feeling when you're, you're frustrated, but then instead of getting down on yourself for feeling frustrated or getting anxious about the fact that you're frustrated, you, you chop off that second layer and you'll be shocked at how much more resilient and strong you feel when you don't have that added layer of negative emotionality. Um, so th there's a lot of resources on, on starting a mindfulness practice. I love this little book. It's called Sit Like a Buddha, um, A Pocket Guide to Meditation. It's, it's very brief. It's like, I don't know, 50 pages or something. It's very accessible. It's very straightforward and plain. It's not mystical. And um, so it's a great little guide. I give it out to almost all my clients and to, to a lot of friends and family. It's a good guide to kind of get started with, um, with the practice of mindfulness, um, which will really help foster that, 
curious, open relationship with your own difficult emotions and thoughts as opposed to a kind of combative one. Um, so that's the first kind of habit that I really recommend. Okay, the second one is what I call cultivated purpose. So the big idea with this, and we know from, from just a, I mean, we know from personal experience, but we also know from a lot of the research that one of the common characteristics of very resilient people is they have a strong sense of purpose, right? So something happens and knocks them down. And what allows them to get back up again is this, it's not, it's not that they are kind of telling themselves, well, I, I, you know, I just need to start feeling better. It's, I need to feel better because I need to do this. I need to take care of this. I have some other thing in my life that really matters, something bigger than myself, okay? Now that, that sounds kind of big and lofty, um, and it is <laughs> to some extent. Um, but it, what I wanna present to you today is the idea that we can all create more purpose in our lives, sometimes in relatively small ways, but still in meaningful, significant ways that will help us to be more resilient. So this idea of cultivating purpose for our lives on a regular basis is really important. As I say there, it's hard to move on if you don't know where you're going, right? So if you get knocked down, but you have no idea where you're supposed to go or what you're supposed to do afterwards, um, that's one of the things that actually makes it hard just to get up. When, when you get hit with some sort of difficult stressor in life, right? Let's say if you get a really negative um, feedback on, on something at work, right? That the pain of that negativity, it's, it exerts a kind of mental gravity on your attention, right? When it, if you've made a big mistake or you've got some something you're worried about in the future, um, it like pulls your attention. It's hard not to think about it, right? I think we can all relate to this. So your, your mind gravitates toward it. What's so powerful about purpose is, purpose is gravity pulling you in the opposite direction. So if you struggle to, uh, if you struggle with worry a lot, right, as a common one, and you would let you say, I keep worrying, I know it just produces more stress and anxiety. I wish I could guide my, I wish I could just let it go and think about something else that's where purpose comes in when you're you know if you're you're driving home from work right and you're, you're thinking about this mistake you made at work and you just keep going over and over it again a strong sense of purpose is what's going to allow you to redirect your attention to something else that really matters and kind of pull you away from that worry um, and that anxiety so a good way a very simple way that anyone can do that it's actually really powerful um, to start to build in more purpose in their life, a, sense, a stronger sense of purpose is the common idea of the bucket list. I mean, everyone's heard of the bucket list. It's kind of this, it's almost a cliche thing. You know, I wanna go visit the pyramids in Egypt before I die, or I wanna run a marathon or write a novel or some, you know, something like that. These are kind of typical bucket list ideas. Um, but, but bucket list also includes smaller things, you know, like, um, that, that are really valuable and purposeful for you. Like for me, I'm always working on trying, I'm trying to be more patient with my kids. I have little toddlers, through, you know, two toddlers and a, and a really young daughter. And patience is like a key thing for me. I'm always trying to, to work on that. It's, it's very hard <laughs> for me anyway. Um, the idea with a bucket list though, is that most, most people like the idea of a bucket list, but, but the strange thing is very few people actually create one. <laughs> they, maybe they have some vague ideas about, yeah, you know, I want to travel here, you know, before I get too old to travel or, you know, yeah, I want to be a better parent or something like that. But it's not concrete. It's not specific. And it's not something that they regularly check in on, right? It's just sometimes they'll be reminded of it and they'll think, oh, yeah, you know, I should really do something about that. Well, a very simple, relatively easy thing all of us can do to make sure that we have a stronger sense of purpose in our lives is 
actually create a bucket list. And so here, here's what I recommend. Sit down sometime, um, and you can do this with pen and paper or you can do it with a phone. I kind of like the phone because our phones are always on us these days. Um, and we'll talk more about that. But so you sit down and you, you open up your notes, a notes app on your phone, and you just give yourself 20 minutes some morning, you know, get up a little early or um, before you leave the office or something at work on your lunch break, maybe, and just start to kind of brainstorm. What are things that are really important to me? What, what are things I would like to do? What are things I aspire to be or, or to accomplish? And just start writing them down. And you know, give yourself again 15, 20 minutes, um, and write down the list. Now, here's the here's the really technical, <laughs> not complicated, but technical part that's really important. I think you want to review and update this list regularly, right? You you want to keep these values and sense of purpose like front and center in your mind. You're never going to do that if you don't have some kind of structure for doing that. So what I recommend people do is to think of this quarterly. Like just like you would track maybe your expenses or your budget, you know, on a monthly or quarterly basis, what track your values on a regular basis? Your what th the things that matter most to you in your life? Surely we can all dedicate you know twenty minutes every three months to kind of review and refresh ourselves of what really matters to us in our life. So try to do this quarterly. Set a recurring reminder in your phone that goes up. You know, tell tell Siri, hey Siri, set a reminder every you know every. Uh, first, you know, every three times a year, or four times a year to review my bucket list. And then as you're going through life and you, and you, you realize new things that you want to add to your bucket list, values, things you want to accomplish, things you want to achieve, add them to your list. And I, this sounds simple, but it is so important for if you want to be able to be resilient and to move on from emotional difficulties, you need a why. You need something that emotionally pulls you in the opposite direction because pain and fear are going to pull you one direction and willpower is not enough. You need values and you need purpose to help you move on from those setbacks. So that's why I think purpose um, and sort of, it's not just purpose, it's cultivated purpose. It's something you, you know, everyone knows that they should be good with their diet or with their finances or, but if you really want to be good with that in a long-term way, you need a system, you need a, you need habits, you need a, a, some sort of structure. And I think the same is true for our, our values and our sense of purpose. So that's my, that's the second point there. So here's the, the third one, um, is what I call perspective taking. And I love this quote, it's one of my favorite quotes. Don't believe everything you think, thoughts are just that thoughts. So one of the hallmarks of people who really get stuck um, and who aren't particularly resilient after emotionally difficult times is they, they're very rigid in the way they think about things. Um, and what I mean by that is, so for instance, you, you I'm, okay, I'm giving this talk now, right? And let's say the talk ends and I think afterwards, oh my God, you know, that th two people asked questions and I, I couldn't even, I just totally blanked out and I didn't even have an answer. The, what a disaster, like I should never do presentations again. So the fact that like the first thought in my mind was, oh, what a disaster because I couldn't answer two questions. Just because it's the first thought that pops into your mind doesn't mean there's anything special about it. It doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's all that accurate. It doesn't even mean it's all that important. It's just the first thing your mind happened to throw at you. And if you stop and think a second, you, there are probably other ways to look at what happened with the presentation. You know, you might see that like, okay, there were two questions I couldn't answer, 
but there were actually five people who asked questions and I answered them well and they gave me really great feedback on those. Okay, it's a bummer I missed the two, but actually I had the five and that, that's pretty good. So again, this is one of those things I think that seems sort of obvious, but in the moment, it's very easy to get rigid and stuck in a particular line of thinking. And so what, if you wanna build resilience, a really good thing to practice is have some sort of exercise or habit that helps you be flexible and take perspe different perspectives on what happens to you, especially difficult things. And a great little habit for this is what I call the evening review. And the evening review, it's very simple. All you do is each evening, it's really best to do it every single day. Although, you know, if you, if you miss summer, you can't do it, that's fine. But it should only take you a few minutes. It's a very simple thing that almost anyone can do, no matter how busy you are. And you, just, you sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil, um, and you answer three questions in writing. It doesn't have to be long. You're not writing essays. You know, it's just a, a sentence or two. And you respond to these questions. And what these do is they help you. These questions train mental flexibility. They, they help you establish the habit of not just believing whatever thoughts pop into your mind, but being able to step back and take multiple perspectives on what's happening to you. So the first one is, what's something I did well today? So we all have a negativity bias built into us for probably evolutionary reasons. We tend to prioritize the negative. You know, it's better to not die than to remember how well you did on a few things. You know, if you, so it's, it's just hardwired in. We are going to tend to prioritize the negative. That doesn't mean we have to get stuck in the negative, though. And if you can build this kind of muscle of reminding yourself that, oh, yeah, there were, no matter how negative my day went or no matter what happened to me, there were probably some good things that happened, too. Um, getting in the habit of reminding yourself of that is key. If you can practice doing that every single day, you're much more likely when something really difficult does happen for that little mental muscle to kick in and for you to be able to do it in the moment, which is a huge part of resilience. Um, now, but this is not, this is not just positive thinking, right? It's not some bad happened and I just need to, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. I'm fantastic. No, that's nonsense. <laughs> the point here is not to be unrealistically positive. The point is to be to be flexible and actually to be realistic, to be objective about what's happening to us. So, and the next point gets at that. What's something I need to work on? We don't wanna live in denial about faults or difficult things that happened or mistakes. We wanna address them, but we wanna address it in a calm sort of rational way. And this question, the second question, what's something I need to work on? It's a simple way to um, validate the fact that yes, I made some mistakes, but to do it in a even-handed manner instead of exaggerating our negatives, which is something we all tend to do, I think, for the most part. And then the third one is, what's something I'm grateful for? Not something I've done particularly well today, but something that just happened to me or something that's in my life that I really appreciate. And so these three, again, what these three questions do is, they it's essentially stretching for your mind. We all get kind of locked into these like particular patterns and ways of thinking. And that rigidity is a maybe the arguably the key ingredient in uh, people who are not resilient, or people who kind of crumble or get stuck after really difficult things happen. But if you look at people who are very resilient, what you'll often find is they're remarkably flexible in the and sort of balanced in the way they think about what happens, especially difficult things. They're able to take the proper perspective, step back, and really see things relatively um, neutrally and objectively. So this little habit of the evening review, I think is a great way to, in a small way, 
start to cultivate that habit and that ability in yourself so that when things do get tough, you don't get stuck in one kind of rigid, unhelpful way of thinking about, about something. So I want to end on this great, one of my favorite quotes. Um, John Kabat-Zinn said, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. Um, and I love this quote because this kind of embodies resilience, right? Like we can't, difficult, painful things are going to happen. Pandemics are going to happen. I mean, who would have expected that, you know, I mean, obviously some people anticipated it, but I think most of us, this was not on our radar and we just kind of got hit with it. Like you would get hit with a wave. Um, and the idea is if you, if you get in fights with difficult things, especially difficult emotions, if, you, if you're combative and, or you try and run away from difficult emotions, just like waves, it's not going to happen. You're going to get crushed. Right. Um, but what you can do is, is train yourself to navigate and ride those waves skillfully. And to me, that's the heart of resilience. It's about instead of getting in, um, being combative and, and attacking or trying to run away from your difficult emotional responses to things, it's about cultivating a much healthier relationship with your own difficult emotions. And when you can be compassionate and curious with even the most difficult experiences, your odds of being able to move on in a, in a strong and healthy way go way up. So that's kind of my um, little pitch for practical resilience and ideas for building resilience in, in ordinary life. So I hope that was helpful. Thank you very much, Dr. Wigno. This was an extremely helpful information and we are sure all to benefit from it and benefit from your exercise of uh, helping us cope with all the challenges in everyday life. Thank you so much for joining us and I look forward hearing you at different events. Thank you everyone for joining us on this podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Go to abkf.org and support us so we can continue on with our mission. Thank you again.